Coming up next on Inside Golf Podcast, Rocket Mortgage Classic. Betting and DraftKings preview. Should be a good one, we think. Uh, these tournaments in this part of the schedule, these kind of midsummer, late summer tournaments, uh, can be a little bit more difficult to get up for, but we've got a better field than last week. Um, and I actually like this golf course, so excited to talk about it. Um, before we get into Detroit Golf Club, we are presented, as always, by RickRunGoods.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing in the podcast, you can find over at RickRunGoods.com. A lot of changes to the site recently and in the upcoming months. We've got some Euro data in there as well. We're going to be doing a new thing with ownership that I think a lot of people are really going to like in there as well. So it is a great time to sign up today using promo code Andy. You can also get all of my written work, my in-depth course breakdown on Monday, which is a lot like this podcast, except even more in depth. Believe it or not, I go through my whole model inputs. Uh, what are the types of players that are overvalued based on my model, undervalued based on my model, all that good stuff. And then on Wednesday, DraftKings article as well, which I have found really useful in the sense that my ability to uh, speak coherently about DraftKings on a Sunday before pricing comes out is extremely limited. But this article gives me a chance to uh, really do a last minute look at the slate uh, given uh, all of the latest ownership, my predictions on ownership. I go through the chalk in every single range, my core plays. Um, and the weather, of course, is another one that we're kind of limited at the beginning of the week. But by Wednesday morning, when I usually post that, we've got a lot more info on. Um, so you can find both of those on rickrungoods.com, promo code Andy. All questions, too, for me, best place to reach me uh, throughout the week would be in that Slack channel. So we would love to have you as part of the team. I don't have uh, a ton at the top on the 3M uh, or any other pertinent business. Um, I have not been really locked into this tournament. I've been playing a lot of golf. I have um, some decent DraftKings runners. I don't I don't think uh, anything that'll have me uh, glued to the television this afternoon. And my, my outright bets uh, were an unmitigated disaster for me this week. I don't think I had any. Well, I guess Scott Piercy kind of started running away with it on Friday afternoon. But I mean, I don't even have, I don't even think I have anybody in the top 20. I think Smotherman at like four under is my best, uh, is my best guy. So hopefully we can rebound this week. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I think that's, that's all I got to talk about at the top. We've got some news with the podcast that I'm excited to announce later on this week. Um, but we'll get there later. So let's let's dive into Detroit Golf Club. So this tournament's only been here for three years. It was first held in 2019. Uh, it replaced the Quicken Loans National on the schedule. First ever PGA Tour event ever to be held completely in Detroit city limits. And... 2019, it was won by Nate Lashley at 25 under par. 2020, it was won by Bryson at 23 under par. And last year, it was won in a playoff 
by Cameron Davis over Troy Merritt and Joaquin Neiman at 18 under par. So it's been interesting. Nate Lashley kind of came out of nowhere. He was 300 to one. I don't even think that he was in the DraftKings pool because he was a late entrant. Um, he had only had one top 10 finish on the PGA tour prior to winning here in his entire career. Don't want to say it's a fluky win, but he gained almost 10 strokes putting. And then you kind of had the polar opposite the next year where Bryson wins at seven to one completely bomb and gouges it wins the tournament, losing strokes on approach, but gaining 14.5 off the team putting. And then Cameron Davis, Another long shot at the time. I think he was in the 125 to one ballpark. Um, he was really just balanced across the board. I mean, he could bomb it like Bryson, but that's not why he won. He only gained 0.8 off the tee. So, you know, there are a couple ways to get it done here, but I would certainly say this is uh, probably a week to take some more shots down the board with guys that hit the ball a really long way and can putt. So let's talk about the golf course, Detroit Golf Club. Designed by Donald Ross in 1916, it is a par 72, measuring 7,370 yards on the scorecard. Water only comes into play on one hole. The fairways are Bankgrass with Poana, um, measuring 35 yards wide on average, pretty wide fairways. The rough is a bluegrass mix, four inches, and the greens are... 5,150 square feet with Poana and bent grass running 10.5 on the stamp. Uh, and the course that they use for the tournament is actually a composite with 17 holes from the north course and one hole from the south course. Both are Donald Ross originals, uh, who's one of the most iconic designers of all time. Probably if I was to boil down some of Donald Ross's do- design philosophy... He's probably, well, there are a couple of things he's famous for. He was really good at using the natural ground contours. He didn't, he wasn't really a guy who moved a ton of dirt on his golf courses. Shout out Foz. Uh, he was very good at creating natural golf courses. And of course the turtle back greens, uh, which are honestly not really that pronounced at Detroit golf club. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about when we go back to Pinehurst for the U S open in a couple of years, you're not really getting the full extent of that here. They just don't play firm and fast enough and they're not, they're not as undulating. Uh, but the two other regular PGA tour courses that Ross has designed Sedgefield, which we'll see next week, we get the, the first leg of the Ross double and Eastlake host of the tour championship. Uh, and Detroit golf club is your standard, classical tree-lined Parklands golf course. Water only comes into play on the par 414th. Um, And of the bent grass birdie fests that we've had, I don't know if we could throw 3M into that birdie fest category. Played super easy yesterday on Saturday, Um, but it's shown some teeth this year. We're going to have to litigate that. It's been sent to uh, further review in terms of whether we can call that one a birdie fest. But in terms of 3M, John Deere, I guess you throw Barbasol into that mix. This is probably the best golf course from uh, an architecture standpoint. Probably has the most interesting green complexes. The greens feature some back-to-front slopes, and there's some interesting runoff areas and collection areas. 
But unfortunately, it just never really plays firm and fast enough for us to really get the extent of the design. The greens are generally pretty receptive. There's, it's really humid. There's generally some rainfall in the weeks leading up in that area of Detroit. And we get that same 80 to 20% POA bent uh, blend that kind of, in my opinion, plays more like bent grass than it does, definitely than it does a West Coast POA. They're the exact same greens as the Travelers. Um, and I still consider the Travelers, they, it plays more like bent grass than POA, uh, just in terms of the way it rolls. And this course ranked 31st out of 40 courses last year in scoring average, all three of the years that it has been held here. It is ranked inside the top 10 easiest courses on tour. The golf course layout itself is a standard par 72, four par fives. Three of them are reachable. One of them's over 630 yards, but still features a 28% birdie rate. Four par threes. Two of them are pretty short. Um, Two of them are over 200 yards. And 10 par fours. Only four of them are above 450 yards. Only one of them is above 475 yards. But four of them are below 400 yards. So every single hole except the 11th features over a 12% birdie rate. But unlike the 3M, there's not really that much blow-up potential here. Eight of the 18 holes feature under a 10% bogey rate. And only two holes feature over a 20% bogey rate. Um, So I remember watching last year, Sunday down the stretch, and I remember watching Cam Davis, and he was actually hitting some really loose drives um, on Sunday afternoon. And there was not one scenario where I felt like he was screwed or he was really getting penalized for a bad shot. And... That's just kind of the nature of this golf course under receptive conditions and how long it is um, compared to how long PGA Tour pros hit it. Um, This could be a really fun golf course, but it would need to be longer and it would need to be firmer and faster. The way that it is set up now, um, it does not penalize poor shots the way that you would probably hope for. Um, And thus, thus far, it's it does not do the best job of separating really, really good tee degree play from poor tee degree play. Um, and that is essentially how you would define a putting contest, which is exactly what this is. And I will expand upon how the statistics back that up as well. So off the tee, um, it is not a difficult course off the tee. Last year, it ranked 26 out of 40 courses in strokes gain off the tee difficulty. Each of the three years, it is ranked as one of the easiest driving courses on the PGA Tour. It features very wide fairways. Last year, Detroit Golf Club ranked 37th out of 40 courses in missed fairway penalty as well. So again, it's kind of the rough is a little bit luscious, but it's it's kind of it's kind of wide open enough that there's not a whole lot of penalty for wayward driving. And a lot of the time, you're going to have a wedge coming out of that rough. Uh, so, you know, it, 37th out of 40, I mean, it's there's barely, barely any penalty for not driving in the fairway. Not that these fairways are even super narrow to begin with. 
25th out of 40 courses in rough penalty and 34th out of 40 courses in non-rough penalty. So again, like it kind of depends on rainfall. It's not that the rough isn't thick here, uh, but because this course is pretty short and the greens are pretty receptive, you can kind of bomb and gouge this course, um, which we've seen players done do in the past. And, you know, if you still have a wedge coming in out of this rough, you're not going to have any trouble stopping it on these greens. Um, and last year, it ranked 34th bottom two, 38th, sorry, out of 40 courses in fraction of missed fairways that resulted in a penalty stroke. So again, very unlike the 3M Open, there's basically no water on this course, and it's really tough to make big numbers here. Last year, Detroit Golf Club ranked 39th out of 40 courses in penalty strokes per round, 32nd out of 40 courses in reloads per, per round. Each of the last three years, it has ranked inside the top two in least penalty strokes per round. So it's kind of what you see is what you get, right? You're not going to see a ton of scoring variance here. Who can make the most birdies and the guys that don't make the most birdies are just are going to make a lot of pars, right? There's not a lot of real opportunities to go severely, severely backwards on this course. Do I think you can bomb and gouge this course off the tee? Yes. Here's what Bryson had to say in 2020. I think there's a lot of bunkers that are around 290 yards. So hopefully I will be able to clear those and those will be out of play. Sorry, Mr. Ross. This is still Bryson talking. Sorry, Mr. Ross, but you know it is what it is. What a dirtbag. I actually really like Bryson, and I'm going to kind of miss him at this tournament. Um, But this was, I think, uh, he he talked about this stuff right when he first put on all the weight. And, um, you know, the media training still left some to be desired. He said, he goes on to say, I'm trying to be the casino and give myself the best opportunity to win. I'm not even sure that reference really makes sense or lands here, Um, (laughs) but I think I get the gist of what he was going for. Having nine iron into these par fives, it's definitely nice to be able to attack par five flags rather than kind of move away from them. There's a couple holes where I can get it up close to the green and just chip it on there and make a putt. I've just got to keep hitting my driver good and getting more comfortable with the driver. And if that happens, it's going to be a fun week. Right. So he's essentially saying translation there, like I'm just going to hit driver a lot here. And I know that that is the best strategy because I will be fine if I miss it a little bit. And if I'm just in the rough, I'm going to have a lot of chip shots. You know, this course is, it's not even remotely as difficult as winged foot, but Bryson was able to use the exact same strategy at both because both are classical golf courses, right? With back to front sloping greens, where if you just get it up there far enough, you're still going to have the ability to run the ball up on the green and stop a wedge on there. Um, and it's, it, it's a golf course that is it's actually better for you to be hitting a wedge from the rough than it would be, you know, a seven or eight iron from the fairway. Uh, driving distance here. 10 yards higher than tour average and the course isn't even at altitude or anything. So that's even more evidence that guys are just pulling driver here. It's not really, I think there'll be some temptation to compare this course to Sedgefield next week, which I don't love because I think Sedgefield is 
a lot more of a positional golf course where uh, there actually is a penalty for not being in the fairway, and uh, it's more of a club down. You see guys clubbing down more off the tee. Uh, whereas this is, you're going to see a lot of drivers. It's going to be hot and humid. The ball is going to carry a long way. It's a very driver-heavy course. Now, looking at the leaderboards, like in 2019, not a lot of bombers. Nate Lashley, Rory Sabatini, Patrick Reed, Brant Snedeker, Ted Potter, Brian Stewart, JT Poston, seven of the top 12 on the leaderboard actually lost to the field in driving distance. And in 2020, Bryson wins. Wolf comes in second. But you still have Kevin Kisner, Ryan Armour, Adam Hadwin, Tyrrell Hatton, Troy Merritt. All those guys lost to the field in driving distance and still finished top 12 on the leaderboard. Uh, same thing last year for, you know, for every Cam Davis, Joaquin Neiman, Brandon Hagee, and Bubba Watson, there was also a Kevin Kisner, Hank Lebiota, Troy Merritt, Mark Anderson. So I do just think that, like, if you map out this course, distance is a huge advantage here, but it's still more of a, a luxury than a necessity. This is This course is not long enough where there are certain guys that just can't compete. Um, but I do think that if you can hit the ball a long way, you've got a great edge. Now you can make up for it by being a really good wedge player, which we've seen been done in the past. Um, so I'm definitely looking for longer players here, but if you're not long, that's fine. You just better be a good putter and a good wedge player in terms of approach. Again, you know, there's some undulation to these greens, but Man, they're usually pretty receptive. 33rd out of 40 courses in strokes gain approach difficulty. Each of the last three years, it has ranked inside the top seven easiest courses in strokes gain approach difficulty. Last year, it had the seventh easiest greens to hit on the PGA Tour last year. And each of the last three years, it has ranked inside the top seven in easiest greens and regulation percentage. Uh, And in terms of approach distances, this is definitely a wedge course, in my opinion. Um, above tour average in approach shots from 75 to 100. Above tour average in approach shots from 100 to 125. Above tour average in approach shots from 125 to 150. Pretty much below tour average in all the on all the other uh, buckets. So, you know, there are a couple long iron shots because of the two long par threes and four par fives, but that number is still below tour average. And with all the shorter par fours, you're not going to see a bunch of middle to long irons here. Um, There's like barely any approach shots from 75 to 200 yards, which I found kind of egg. All right, around the green, uh, last year it ranked 31st out of 40 courses in strokes gain around the green difficulty, but the prior two years it actually ranked harder than tour average. Uh, last year, it ranked 32nd out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the fairway, 23rd out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the rough, and 23rd out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the bunkers. So despite the fact that there's certainly some undulation to these greens, it's hard to sit here and advocate for looking at around the green metrics whatsoever with such a high greens and regulation percentage. If you are having to rely 
on your short game more than three or four times around here, chances are you are not even remotely in contention. And then putting, 41.6% of strokes gains at Detroit Golf Club have come putting, which is well above the tour average of 35.6%. So again, this is what we would statistically define as a putting contest. You need to putt here. In 2019, every single player in the top 20 gained strokes putting. Lashley was fine from tee to green, but unbelievable with the flat stick. In 2020, people think that Bryson and Wolf played great here because they dominated off the tee. Well, that's not really the actual story. The reason why Bryson and Wolf finished 1-2 that year is because they gained a combined 14 strokes putting, right? And every single player in the top 12 that year gained over a stroke putting. There was no roadmap to finishing highly in this tournament without having, at the bare minimum, a good putting week. 2021, last year, same deal. Only two guys in the top 25 lost strokes putting. So it's not a Riviera or a Torrey Pines where it really does a good job of separating from tee to green. No, this is statistically what you would define as a putting contest. Um and last year it ranked 14th or 12th, sorry, out of 40 courses in strokes gained putting difficulty. In each of the last three years, it is ranked harder than tour average in strokes gained putting difficulty, which uh, does speak to the fact that there is some undulation to these putting surfaces. And last year it ranked 15th out of 40 courses in putting difficulty inside five feet, 18th from five to 15 feet, and 13th from. 15 feet plus. Uh, So I guess if you are saying relative to other courses, what is the biggest defense of Detroit Golf Club? You'd probably say the green complexes, but I I cannot emphasize enough. This is a tournament. Wait, I I guess you could say uh, it comes down to putting every week. No, like this one relative to other PGA Tour courses, there's so much importance placed on putting because T degree, there's not going to be a giant separation here. Um, so you're gonna there's you're gonna see guys that are just gonna come out of nowhere probably this week and gain a gain a bunch of strokes putting. It, it happens here every year. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge shock to anyone, but there was a big correlation with players that rated out highly in birdies or better gains entering the week. Right, it's a course where you got to go well. And uh, I want to be targeting those types of players. I think at this type of event, you probably sit there as a player on Thursday morning and say, okay, I need to get to 20 under par to give myself a chance this week. And some players thrive in those conditions and really like that. And some players will very transparently tell you that those are the types of tournaments that do not suit their game the best. And those are the types of tournaments that they do not enjoy. Um, Of course, most of those players are not in the field this week. But I am absolutely looking for players that raise their baseline in easier scoring conditions. And I feel comfortable saying can get to 20 under. So easy scoring conditions, birdies are better gained. How many opportunities these guys are giving themselves inside 15 feet, wedge play. You know, these are all stats that you probably want to be overweight on this week. And then in terms of comp courses and course history, 
in its very short history, Detroit Golf Club has featured some of the least predictive history on the PGA Tour. Uh, there are certainly players that have done well here all three years, and especially with the greens here, there definitely is some nuance to them. But I'm pretty much treating course history here the same way that I did last week with the three app, where I cannot say that I really care too much whether you've played here before or played well here before. Cam Davis missed his first two cuts here before winning the tournament last year. Um, and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but there's probably some temptation to look at other Donald Ross courses like Sedgefield and Eastlake. I wouldn't go too crazy on that, not just because the agronomy is different, especially Eastlake features these like really grainy Bermuda greens and really thick Bermuda rough, which is just agronomically such a different test uh, from what we have here at Detroit and Sedgefield. Again, it's like this short positional golf course where it's actually really advantageous to hit the fairways, whereas Detroit Golf Club, it's not close to as important to hit the fairways whatsoever. So I'm not really putting a ton of stock into either of those courses at all. Instead, I think you're probably better suited looking at courses like Keene Trace, TPC Deer Run, TPC Craig Ranch even, the Summit Club, these bent grass birdie fests where there's very little resistance provided from T to green, which is not the case at Sedgefield, actually, and certainly not the case at Eastlake. But these bent grass birdie fests, especially TPC Deer Run, just don't do the best job of separating elite T to green play. And just the emphasis and thus the emphasis falls more so on putting. So I would definitely prefer to look at those courses. The other one that this kind of reminds me a little bit was Silverado, which is the host of the Fortnet Championship during the fall swing. That's another course that is classical in its nature, tree-lined, similar agronomy, very scorable, very little penalty for missing the fairway. I think that's a good comparison. Uh, and then I also think you probably make a decent argument for TBC River Highlands, at least just in the sense that it's got those exact same greens, exact same agronomy with the rough, um, and it's a lot of wedges. I think River Highlands is a little quirkier and a little tougher, and it's more important to hit the fairway there, but I do like um, some of those similarities in agronomy a lot. So overall, I kind of go back and forth on whether I like tournaments that are so dependent on putting for DraftKings purposes, but kind of like I said last week with the 3M, like life's too short to play guys at 20% when water comes into play on a ton of holes. And what do you know? A ton of chalk got killed. I almost feel the same way about tournaments that are pure putting contests. Like your model may say that this guy at 20% is a way better ball striker than the guy at 5%. And well, look, if they were playing Torrey Pines, I'd say, yeah, you got to value the ball striking. But on this course, it matters way less that the guy at 20% is a better ball striker because if the guy at 5% putts well, he's just going to beat him. Like, that's just how it works here. Um, whereas, like I said, with Torrey Pines, if he was a poor ball striker, it would put him so far behind the eight ball that even if he had a good putting week, you know, a lot, a lot of those putts would be for par. So in kind of a different way, this is a highly, highly 
variable tournament because like I said, I think if you can bomb it a long way, if you are a really good wedge player, like all of those things are important here. They're still not as important as putting. Um, okay, so I plugged all this stuff into a model and here's who it shot out. Number one was Adam Scott, who I'm kind of surprised is playing this tournament. Um, he was rumored with that there's going to be an all Australian um, live team along with Mark Leishman and Cam Smith and that those guys are going to head over after the President's Cup. But Adam Scott in the field this week weirdly rates out incredibly well for me. Um, he's number one in the model this week, Adam Scott. Number two, Scott Stallings. That's an interesting one. I think he will be mega chalk this week, would be my guess. I think Scott Stallings is going to show up in anybody that runs a model. He's been playing great. So that's one to monitor. Scott Stallings, number two. Tony Finau, number three. Mark Hubbard, number four. Again, Mark Hubbard, like 7,600, mega chalk would be my prediction. And then number five. Best player in the field this week is Patrick Cantlay, who's an interesting one because this is kind of the golf course that you probably want Patrick Cantlay on, right? Easier scoring conditions. He's one of the best long-term bent grass putters in the world, right? He won at Caves Valley at 25 under. Um, Great at the Travelers, right? Uh, So this is kind of the, this feels like, you know, Memorial, Bankgrass, all these like tree-lined parklands, easier scoring conditions feel kind of right up Patrick Cantlay's alley. Number six, Webb Simpson. No surprise there in terms of course fit. Webb Simpson always rates out quite high for me, despite the fact that the recent form hasn't been great. I run my stuff a little bit more long-term. Number seven, Max Homa, who I imagine will be quite popular. He's playing great golf right now. Number eight, defending champion Cameron Davis. Number nine, Maverick McNeely. I like this spot for Mav. Ten, Chris Goddard. Oof, got to be careful with that one. Um, very limited data with him, but great at the John Deere. Bomb and gouge. He definitely fits that profile. Eleven, Chris Kirk. Kind of gets it done in a different way, but still... Makes a ton of birdies. He's been good the last two years. I think I've bet Chris Kirk here every single year. 12, Russell Henley, who's probably the best wedge player in this field still. Um, he's been a little quieter the past couple of weeks, but I think this might be a nice little buyback spot for him. 13, Cameron Stringale. Um, destroyed a lot of my DraftKings lineups this week. Uh, missed a cut, I think, on the number and lost over five strokes putting. That's not great, but I think he'll be an interesting guy to go back to this week. The course history has been pretty good. Definitely probably not in terms of, you know, in the betting markets, but um, I think you'll get a price break on him coming off last week. One guy you also will get a price break on is Svensson, who was mega, mega popular last week and let a ton of people down. Um, he missed the cut at 20-ish percent, sometimes a little bit higher in other contests. Uh, and if you liked him last week, well, 
you willing to go back to him? Because there's not – it's different than 3M, but for all of the reasons that you probably liked him at 3M, uh, you probably make just as good a case for him here. 15, Will Zalatoris, probably outside of Cantlay, second best player in this field, but it's not really – the type of course that you probably think of Zalatoris on, which is why he's a little, despite, in my opinion, being the second best player in the field, why he's a little, little lower than some of the other guys um, and probably overvalued based on what his price will be. You probably want him on these longer iron courses, um, tougher scoring conditions where you don't have to get to 20 under. Kind of make the same case for Keegan Bradley. Um, who's 16, and then 17, Sahith Gala. Again, I think he's an interesting bounce-back candidate. Same with Davis Riley, by the way. 18, Adam Hadwin. 19, Cameron Young, who my friend Kirshner has already declared as the winner. So that's another one to monitor. Coming off that great finish at St. Andrews. Um, and then 20, Patrick Rogers. Shout-out CP. So... You know, there are a lot of guys that I actually think uh, coming off of missed cuts at the 3M are intriguing options. I think if you like Svensson last week, you're going to get a big break on him. I like Cameron Tringali last week. You're going to get a break on him. Sahith Thagala, um, who I did not like last week, you're going to get a break on him. Um, even guys like Adam Hadwin, Davis Riley too, Chris Goddard. These are guys that my guess, even ah, Cameron Davis, I guess, is playing too well. But these are guys that my guess will be less, way less popular um, than they were last week. And it's a better field too. I talked about it. But probably if like I'm predicting the highest price guys, it's Finau, it's Cantlay, it's Cameron Young. It's Max Homa and it's Zalatoris. So I think this week you're actually going to have like a real 10K range, right? Uh, last week there's like seven guys above 9K, which I actually think is just stupid in DraftKings pricing. Like they had like 70 guys in the 7K range. Like spread it out more, overprice some guys and make guys make actual decisions up there. Um, and I think this week we'll, we get back to having a little bit more of a balanced field where I do think that you'll probably have some guys in the low nines that you may not feel are totally like 9K golfers. I'm very curious where they put Adam Scott at. Um, but for the most part, you're getting, you're getting a real 10K range with like a clear best player in, I guess, clear best couple three and. Cameron Young, Will Zalatoris, Cantlay, Finau, Homa. Um, so who do I like? Who do I like this week? Well, I think Stallings is intriguing. I think Stallings is a guy that, you know, just based off of the um, the numbers, it, it kind of might be like a blind outright bet. I, I do think he's probably going to be a little bit too concerning for me in DraftKings. You, you kind of got to look at these things sometimes and say, okay, if a objectively not that good player makes too much sense, why is that? Is he due for some regression? Insert win horse mean, right? A lot of people in the league are talking about it. And we saw that last week with Svensson, where it was like, this feels way too good to be true. Every, he, 
I mean, he checks every single box that I'm looking for this week. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he was kind of just a little bit due for a heat check, right? And, you know, for every one of those that it's too obvious and it doesn't work out, you see a lot of cases where it's too obvious and it does work out, right? A lot of the guys that, you know, one of the guys at the majors this year, right? Like Scotty Scheffler keep winning. Um, Rory McIlroy, too obvious at the Open Championship. Cameron Smith, incredibly obvious at the Open Championship, most tipped, right? So Stallings is interesting. I think this goes one of two ways for him. I think he, I think he could win. I also think he's going to miss the cut um, at 20%. And um, he might not be that high. It's going to come down to what they price off him honestly maybe my numbers are completely off with scott stallings maybe maybe he's not a guy that everybody talks about or looks about this week who can say um but i like chris kirk a lot i imagine he will be pretty popular uh like i said i've bet him the last couple of years here i think this is the type of golf course he makes a lot of birdies Good on bank grass, good in easier scoring conditions, gives himself a ton of opportunities, gains strokes at a lot of the comp courses that I'm looking for this week. Coming in in pretty good form, just finished 42nd at the Open Championship. He's well-rested. He's had a lot of higher-end finishes this year. Um, And then, yeah, there are a couple other guys. Of all the guys like Svensson and uh, Tringali and Riley and Sahith. Um, I think I like Riley the most. I think I'm going to, I think I'll probably go right back to Riley. Um, he hit the ball. Actually, Cameron Shrinkala hit it just as well as him, but he hit the ball fine last week and just lost strokes putting and missed a cut on the number. Um, and like I talked about the week before with Riley, uh, the reason why I liked him last week is he's doing what you would like to see right before winning. He's popping in kind of all these different categories and he's just not timing it up right. So I think he's a uh, intriguing guy to go back to this week. I don't have a ton else in terms of, um, in terms of big early leans. I will say this, I probably will bet Taylor Pendrith 11th at the Barracuda I kind of want to keep that one a little bit quieter, <laughs> uh, but he uh, he was injured for a while, and then he finished T11 at the Barracuda, 13th at the Barbasol in his first two starts back. You want to talk about a guy that fits the Cameron Davis, Bryson, Matt Wolf mode. I mean, he absolutely bombs it off the tee. His irons are not great, but I don't think you need to be an elite iron player on this course, and he can actually putt. Um, so just on a very elementary surface level, Pendrith does exactly what I'm looking for this week, and he kind of hit the ground running coming off that injury uh, with back-to-back top 15 finishes. They were both in alternate fields, but it's not like this field is U.S. Open caliber, right? Um, and you know, 23rd at winged foot, too, for Pendrith. Classical golf course. Slick, bent grass, undulating greens, right? Kind of that same thing with that Bryson connection where you can kind of strategically do similar things at both golf courses. So I like Pendrith a lot. I think Pendrith might win. 
Um, I like Johnny Vegas a lot too. There's another guy for you that hits the ball a long way off the tee and does really well uh, on these easier golf courses, right? He's won the Canadian Open twice. Uh, similar agronomy here, very scorable. Uh, won that at 21 under par. I think you'd sign for that this week. Won the Amex at 24 under par, second at the 3M, third at the John Deere, fourth at the Barbasol, fourth at the Sanderson Farms. So these easier golf courses where you kind of feel like you need to get to 18, 22 under and you can bomb away with driver and there's not a whole lot of penalty for being inaccurate. Um, he tends to do some of his best work on, and he is coming off a T36 at the Scottish where he gained two strokes off the tee and two on approach. Um, so I like those guys, Pendrith, Vegas, Riley, Kirk, Stallings, Hubbard will be mega popular. Probably go back to my guy Alex Smalley, who was great at the um, at the Scottish Open. Shout out Duke, Russell Henley. Um, I think it's a really good mid tier. I think like when I was going through it, and I don't always feel this way. I like Siwoo Kim also, by the way. There were a lot of guys where I was like, ah, this guy. I'm very interested to see where his number is this week. Whereas last week, it was almost a struggle to find five, six guys that I really felt great about. Um, so that will do it for me. I will be back tomorrow night. That podcast will probably be out on Tuesday morning, uh, with my friend, John Hasselbauer, you know, him as PGA tout on Twitter. John and I are going on a, a golf trip on, uh, Thursday through Sunday. Um, so that will be a fun podcast. Excited to talk to him about it. I think he hit Davis last year. I might be lying about that, but if memory serves me correctly, he hit Davis last year. And Rick Run Good articles will be out Monday, Monday and Wednesday. Scramble, Tuesdays and Fridays. I'm going to be doing the Scramble live on Friday from an undisclosed location. Uh, and best of luck with your 3M Open bets this afternoon if you got any runners. Um, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.